talk about that in the class on pride. Several times we did Jewish traditions on pride, but it's been since the time of Antiochus Epiphanes that they've been completely wiped out because they're not in any way eventually saw the corruption happen and they literally had to don a whole new garb and start processing out of this until they could leave Then David fled from Naoth and Ramah and came and said before Jonathan, What have I done? What is my guilt? And what is my sin before your father that he seeks my life? And he said to him, Far from it, you shall not die. Behold, my father does nothing, either great or small, without disclosing it to me. And why should my father hide this from me? It is not so. But David bowed again, saying, Your father knows well that I have found favor in your eyes. And he thinks, Do not let Jonathan know this, lest he be grieved. But truly, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, there is but a step between me and death. Then Jonathan said to David, Whatever you say, I will do for you. David said to Jonathan, Behold, tomorrow is the new moon, and should I not fail to sit at table with the king? But let me go that I may hide myself in the field till the third day at evening. If your father misses me at all, then say, David earnestly asked leave of me to run to Bethlehem, his city, for there is a yearly sacrifice there for all the clan. If he says good, it will be well with your servant. But if he is angry, then know that harm is determined by him. Therefore, deal kindly with your servant. For you have brought your servant into a covenant of the Lord with you. But if there's guilt in me, kill me yourself. For why should you bring me to your father? And Jonathan said, far be it from you. If I knew that it was determined that my father, by my father that harm should come to you, would I not tell you? Then David said to Jonathan, who will tell me if your father answers you roughly? And Jonathan said to David, come, let us go out into the field. So they both went out into the field. If I'm still alive, show me the steadfast love of the Lord that I may not die. And do not cut off your steadfast love from my house forever when the Lord cuts off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. And Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David saying, may the Lord take vengeance on David's enemies. And Jonathan made David swear again by his love for him. And he rose and departed, and Jonathan went into the city. This is God's word, and it's given for our good. Let me pray for us. Father, we ask now, uh, as we talk about this word, this story that we've read and heard together, 
um, that you'd be happy to use it to show us the word um, who's seated at your right hand, that you would show us the grace of our elder brother Jesus, and that you would change us by it. And we ask it in his name. Amen. Well, one, uh, one afternoon back when our daughter Sarah was in the first grade, uh, Allison and I both got a, a uh, cryptic phone call from her school, and uh, the message said that Sarah had been taken out of class, and that she was in the counselor's office, and that one of us needs to get to the school uh, immediately. So I'll just uh, interject now that I have permission from Sarah to tell this story. Uh, anyhow, of course, we were really alarmed when we got this message. Uh, and Allison left right away, and she was ushered into the counselor's office as soon as she arrived at the school. And this is what they told Allison. Uh, they told Allison that a girl had overheard Sarah talking to one of her friends about bringing something sharp, like a knife, to school the next day. Well, that sounds, you know, vaguely menacing and also very unlike Sarah. Um, but she had been given the counselor uh, the silent treatment. But when Allison arrived, uh, she told Allison exactly what was up. She said, yes, uh, me and my friend have been talking. We were heard talking the day before. But they were talking about how much they liked being friends. And they decided that they would celebrate their friendship and seal their friendship by uh, poking their fingers with something sharp and swapping a little bit of blood. They, they wanted to be blood sisters. Well, everyone, of course, was relieved, although I'm sure that the counselor felt compelled to talk about how unhygienic that would probably be. And that was pretty much the end of that. And you know what I thought when I heard that story? I thought, that's awesome. I'm glad that Sarah has a friend. <laughs> and of course, there is a friendship that is at the very heart of the story that we just read together. And it is a friendship, as we saw last week, that has been sealed by a covenant, by a pact. And I love how Jonathan refers to this friendship with David, how he talks about it with David twice. He says, God is between me and you forever. And this friendship is a shelter for David during one of the most difficult stretches of his life. And it stands for us as a great picture of what it means to have a friend and to be a friend. And beyond that, to the good news of a God who pledges friendship with people like us. So the story begins with David on the run. He had gone to Ramah to be with uh, Samuel, the old prophet, who had years before secretly anointed him to be the next king. But Saul had tracked him to Ramah, and so David escapes, and he flees back to the royal court, and he finds his friend Jonathan, and as soon as he finds Jonathan, he fires off a bunch of questions. What have I done? What is my guilt? What is the sin that I've done that your father wants to kill me? These questions point to the complete chaos that has settled in on David's life. He is disoriented. He is afraid. He's figured out what we as readers have known for a long time, and that's that Saul wants him dead, but he has no idea why. He wants to figure out, maybe, um, why this is happening so he can come up with a, a strategy to engage it. 
And Jonathan, for his part, is caught between his dad and his best friend. And at this point, it's obvious that he is still hoping and still believing the best for his dad. You know, he's already talked sense into Saul one time, and so he is banking on being able to do that again. And so he doesn't address any of the questions that David asks. He doesn't address any of the causes of what's happening. He just says, listen, David, you're not going to die. Because <laughs> I'm pretty sure my father would tell me if he was going to do something like that. He's not going to be able to hide something like this from me. I mean, and you, you could call Jonathan naive, and maybe he is a little naive. But he sounds an awful lot like a son still fighting for a dad that he loves hoping and praying that things will turn around. But David, David has a clarity that Jonathan doesn't have. And you can almost imagine him grabbing him by the shoulders and looking at Jonathan and saying, Jonathan, listen, your father knows that I found favor in your eyes. He knows about our friendship. He's not going to tell you if he wants to kill me again. And then David swears. He swears by God. He swears by the soul of his friend. And in verse 3, he looks him in the eye and he says, man, there is a step between me and death. And this wakes Jonathan up. And they come up with this plan uh, for the new moon festival, the one that we read about. That was a, a two or three day feast that would have been observed in the royal court. And obviously it would be a terrible idea for David to show up, but as a member of the royal court, he would have been expected to show up. And essentially the plan is to see if Saul notices that David is missing. And if he does notice how he feels about it, how he reacts. And if he's angry that David isn't there, then they'll all know that Saul still wants to kill David. So they set up a plan. And then in verse 8, David says something remarkable to Jonathan. David says to Jonathan, deal kindly with your servant. Deal kindly with me. That word, deal kindly, the word that gets translated as deal kindly, it's, it's an important word in Scripture. It's the word that sometimes gets translated as simply love or loyalty or steadfast love, or steadfast faithfulness, or sometimes covenant faithfulness. It's the word that the scripture writers use over and over again to refer to God's faithfulness and God's fidelity to the promises that he makes to us. He'll be our God. He'll redeem us. He will be faithful even when we're not. No matter what the cost, he will be faithful to his promises. God will always show fidelity and loyalty and love and kindness. And in that way, this is a word that stands for refuge. It's a word that stands for shelter. Later on in, in David's life, he'll write this prayer where he says, Show me your wonderful, steadfast love, O Savior, who is a refuge to people who seek after you. It's something you can trust. And David asked Jonathan for that refuge. 
when he says, deal kindly with me. And then later on in verses 14 and 17, Jonathan looks ahead. He looks ahead to whenever the two of them are going to be able to get to the other side of this, whenever they're going to get out of this mess. And he asks for the same refuge from David. He says, listen, if we get through to the other side and I'm still alive, show me the steadfast love of the Lord. Show me that loyal kind of love. He actually makes David swear by that love. He will give David the shelter he needs now. And he's asking David for the shelter and refuge that he will probably need in the future. And church, this mutuality, it rests completely on their friendship. They do not owe this to one another. And it is not politically expedient for Jonathan to do it. In fact, it's a horrible idea for Jonathan to do it politically. They choose to do this. They choose friendship. And that's always, you know, the nature of friendship. A lot of relationships in our lives are, are transactional. You know, there's lots of folks in our lives who, who augment our lives in some way. You know, with uh, the pleasure of some shared interest or with advice or wisdom or counsel or with common work or with goods or with services. And these, these things are great. These relationships are great. They're important. They're part of the richness of human life. And sometimes friendship grows out of them. But friendship is different from them in that friendship isn't necessary for one of those transactions. Friendship is chosen freely. Friendship is also really time-consuming. It requires a commitment to make it nurture and grow. And I think that's why we can sometimes feel allergic to commitment. And that's, I think, sometimes why we feel so lonely. Billy Baker, uh, in 2017, he wrote a piece in the Boston Globe about loneliness, in particular, um, loneliness in middle-aged men. And this is how he put it. He said, when everything adds up, I have left almost no time for friends. But of course, one of the beautiful ironies of friendship is that while it does require a lot of time, it is not restricting in the ways that matter most in our lives. It actually expands us. It allows us to grow into the people that we were created to be and made to be. And yeah, when we come to a spot in life where we need a little bit of shelter, where we need some refuge, and that's, by the way, every one of us in here, then a friend will show up. I mean, listen, I, I really like the lady who cuts my hair, you know? When I go in for a haircut, we crack up, we tell stories about our families. But when I'm in trouble, <laughs> I don't expect her to show up. And it would be weird if I did. But as the book of Proverbs says, a friend loves at all times. And that is a free and costly choice that leads to great good. 
And here's the truth, church. Sometimes the self-giving and steadfast love of God for people like us is shown to us most clearly in the steadfast and self-giving love of our friend. And Jonathan and David are a great picture of this friendship. They, they help us to see what it looks like not only to have a friend, but to be a friend, particularly when things are bad. And things are very bad for David. And so Jonathan chooses to walk into the mouth of madness for him. And they come up with this elaborate plan that involves arrows and hiding in a field as a way for them to be able to communicate after this new moon festival and feast. You should read uh, all of the chapter later this afternoon. It's a really affecting story. But the bottom line is on the second day of the feast, Saul does realize that David's gone. He asks Jonathan why David isn't there. Jonathan gives them that cover story that they cooked up. And Saul does not believe it for even one second. And then he says horrible, horrible things to his son Jonathan. And then as is his custom, he throws a spear at Jonathan and now everyone knows that David isn't safe. And so the next morning, Jonathan tells David, and the two friends part in tears. The storyteller says, with David weeping the most. And so maybe that's why Jonathan gives the last word. It's like a benediction for David. Jonathan says, go in peace, David. Because we have sworn, both of us in the name of God, that God will be between us forever. He offers David all of the fulsome, beautiful peace and refuge that their friendship can offer. And David knows those aren't empty words. <laughs> because he just saved his life at great cost to himself. And so again, Jonathan points past himself to a greater friend who would one day come. On Jesus last night in the upper room with the disciples, this is what he said to them. He said, I'm not calling you servants anymore. I'm calling you my friends. Because all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. And no one has greater love than this that someone would lay down their life for their friends. <laughs> and it's Jesus' death and resurrection that allows people like us in faith to boldly proclaim the forgiveness of sins. And even though we could hardly dare to believe it, it's Jesus' death and resurrection for us that allows us to boldly claim friendship with God and all of the rest and all of the refuge that that affords for people like us. And as we cling to Jesus in faith, as we follow Jesus in faith, he grows in us all that we need to be a friend to others as he has been a friend to us. Let me pray for us. Father, uh, we ask now that you would make us into a people who, who see that you have been a refuge and a shelter, and a stronghold for us, that you have shown fidelity to us over and over again, that you have watched our backs over and over again. And it's most clearly seen 
in what Jesus has done for us. Help us to see it and help us to believe it so that we may rest in it and find it to be a refuge and a shelter when we need it. Father, do that so that we would grow up in our faith. Do that so that we can grow into people who are better friends. Do that so that we can be a people through whom you love this broken world. And we pray this in the name of Christ. Amen.